Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Autism Unmasked. My name's Nikki Collins. I'm the autism coach and author of Through Autistic Eyes. You can find out more about my coaching and my book on my website, theautismcoach.co.uk. And this week's guest is the amazing Annie Crow, who has joined me and has sacrificed her evening because she's over in Australia. So I appreciate that. And Annie is an autistic empowerment coach. She teaches people how to self-advocate. And she also has another business which makes workplaces more neuroinclusive. But Annie has a word that maybe she's come up with all on her own, which is neuroaccessibility. And I absolutely love that. And she's going to tell us a little bit about her her roles within her businesses, because she has two, because one wasn't enough for this amazing entrepreneur. And she's now also taking on some speaking roles as well. And I believe is in the process of starting to pen a book. So there's a lot going on for Annie, and she's going to share some of that journey with us today. And welcome to Autism Unmasked, Annie. Thank you for having me, Nikki, and thank you for sacrificing your early morning on my behalf as well. <laughs> We're both fresh. <laughs> it's not an early morning for me. It's almost 11 o'clock, so. <laughs> yeah, but you like starting later in the day, don't you? <laughs> I do like starting later. Yeah, so do I. So do I. No, so that's okay. Um, but no, I, thank you for having me. I'm, um, yeah, still still catching up to your speed with your amazing new book. I'm I've halfway through two books of my own and I can't. I keep switching between writing each one of them <laughs> instead of just committing to the one book. Very ADHD. But um, no, I also love entrepreneurs. It's the best word. <laughs> it is a fantastic word. I don't think yeah. I came up with it, but it did just pop into my head the other day and I thought, oh, I need to use it. Yes. What are your books so about, Annie? Yeah, so one of them is on uh, autistic pregnancy. So I had uh, my son two years ago, and when I got pregnant with him, I I Googled autistic and pregnant thinking, oh, okay, well, there should be something out there to help us, and it was all on like how to avoid having a child, quote, unquote, with autism. Um, yeah. And I was like, are you kidding? Like there, there is one book out there. I think she's a, I think she's an American doula, um, but literally like almost nothing to support autistic people through pregnancy, birth and postpartum, which as you know, being a parent yourself, that it's it's a hard transition in life and it's a very demanding period, especially for sensory differences or executive functioning demands. So when I got when I was pregnant with him, I began writing the book and I've just sort of slowly been chipping away every time I get re-inspired. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and the other book I started writing last year, um, and that is on neuroaccessibility, which I'm not sure if I'm the person who came up with this word. I'm sure others have used it. I haven't been able to find it, but um, it's kind of the it, it encompasses exactly what I do for my job, and it's what I believe in as well in terms of helping autistic people create 
environments that are more accessible for them and helping businesses and healthcare professionals and environments become more accessible to us. So it's putting the onus and the burden, moving it away from the autistic individual, which so much is usually focused on the autistic individual having issues and challenges and needing to fix them and moving it away from that towards the more neurodiversity affirming model and the neuroinclusivity, but taking it that step further into disability rights. And uh, my background is a human rights lawyer, so I'm very passionate about advocacy and human rights, disability rights are human rights. Um, Yeah, so in a nutshell, that's what my other book is on. And I'm currently trying to prioritize that over the pregnancy one, just because I live and breathe training people and speaking about it all day long. Um, But I do plan to have another child at some point. So I'm sure that'll reignite the pregnancy book. um, And I'll smash that out with hyperfocus. Fabulous, fabulous. It's good to have some goals and I think the bigger the goals, sometimes it just needs to be chunked down so that we can actually reach them. And I know that the way that I recorded, sorry, the way that I researched, recorded and wrote my book through Autistic Eyes was to interview the people Mm. and record those interviews. And I even someone interview me because it's like where do I start? (laughs) Yes. It can be so overwhelming of a task. I'm actually, I've got interviews booked in for the pregnancy one. Um, Not, not the other one yet. (laughs) Um, But the, I I guess for the pregnancy one, I, I wanted it to be a book that wasn't just my experience, but more of a, a broad, similar to yours, I guess, is is showing the diversity of experience of autistic people having babies. (laughs) Um, and the kind of support needs that we might need or how we can ask for those needs and all of those sort of things. Yes, I think it's very needed. It's very needed. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I I posted it on um, LinkedIn a couple of months ago that I just to say I'm writing it, which I um, another a doctor that interviewed me for her podcast um, told me I should do. And <laughs> I, I got quite a bit of like amazing feedback and that's how I got some of the people that I'm interviewing actually um, about their experience. But at the same time, the demand avoidance in me immediately regretted it because then I was like, I don't want to work on this now. <laughs> Just Now there's like some kind of pressure that I don't like. Well, anyway. I, I realised that yeah. I had one chapter to write plus the end chapter and to do everything that in like getting that book out there six weeks to go, which included editing, the final edits, the final, (laughs) all of that, just all the so many moving parts. And I thought, oopsie. (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) What have I done? And, I mean, my my date was chosen with complete intent as uh, for launch, which was the 11th of the 11th, 22, 11, 11. Oh, I like that. And it's yeah. just, oh, if you're into numerology, 11's a gateway number. Each one represents yeah. the doorway. So, like, gotcha. then you're going through it and combined. Yeah. Did you number. open that doorway on the date? Did it yes. all work out? Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure if it was delayed. <laughs> no. I just saw the, the outside where I was looking looking like you had all your stuff together. <laughs> no, I had, I pulled it pulled it off. I had Amazing. a fabulous team. 
and and the the feedback for me has been brilliant so things like font and sizing and things like that oh amazing you don't think of so you've you've done you think that you've done all the hard work the writing the book yeah there's so much more Well, it's like I I didn't mention when I introduced you, but you've also got a, a podcast, Princess and the P. And yes. it's like when you start doing a podcast, you realize how much goes into the mechanics of getting a single episode out. And a hundred percent mind blown. It's the same with a book. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I guess most of our endeavors were, I think that's the, I, I guess for me, being, you know, an entrepreneur, um, part of part of the excitement, but also the challenge is that we have to learn so much more than what we might do in a role that we were really doing one function and had a whole team around us doing the other functions. I think, you know, being doing our jobs, we've got to be we're everything with it from the editor to the EA. Like, I mean, obviously, I think you've already got employees. <laughs> Slowly, we're expanding, which is lovely, but initially when you're starting out you're it like you got technical issues that's your problem (laughs) uh and that's terrifying but it's also highly rewarding I think um I just love deep diving into learning all the technical aspects um my problem is usually the follow-through of I found my first season of my podcast much easier to get through because I was really learning how to edit and which apps like all the technology to use and then that sort of dopamine hit went and now I've got my second season ready to go. I've done all the interviews, but I've just got to do all the edits <laughs> and I, I'm just avoiding it. <laughs> I just, the fun has kind of lost. It's, you know, I've, I've, I've learned it now. What, what's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to re-listen to the interviews because I love all the people that I speak to, but yeah, challenges and, and rewards. <laughs> That all comes with being self-employed, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow. I uh, I actually just this week formally um, resigned from my permanent. I work for the Australian government uh, as a public servant, and I, I technically I haven't actually worked for a couple of years, but I've been on long-term unpaid leave, and it's sort of been this protective cushion of this permanent job that I could potentially go back to any time if I needed it. Mm. Um, and I finally hit a point where I don't need it and I don't want it. <laughs> I never really wanted it. I found I, I loved working um, in that space, but I just found the the rigidity of the work environment and the lack of accessibility and awareness on around neurodiversity was just stifling and it's getting, it's starting to improve. Like they're, they're talking about neurodiversity, which is great. Last year, a couple of months ago, they had the first, you know, cross interagency neurodiversity virtual call. So it's beginning, but like, I'm getting old. I don't, I don't really, I don't want to waste my time waiting for them to catch up when I can be working for myself working with people who are accessible. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore. I do so many collaborations with fellow autistic ADHDers mm. and it is so life affirming because any struggles I have around avoiding things or um, having low spoons someday or needing flexibility, they just get it because they have lived it. And you don't have to explain most of the time 
and you just get that validation from your community. And I just, it's honestly one of the greatest things about the work I currently do is being able to access our community and really work with people who build me up and give me strength (laughs) to go on through this world that is just not made for our brains and nervous systems. Yeah, I I totally agree. And as a coach, I work with such a wide range of age groups and I learn from every single age group, no matter how old they are, whether they are in their teens or in their 60s. It's just it's just incredible. And I absolutely love it. And it's also really interesting because I did a podcast with a um, another Australian who lives in Australia uh, the mm-hmm. uh, just before well that was the first one for 2023 and her background mm-hmm. was working in the Australian government she's now a multi-million dollar business owner who only works Whoa. 10 hours a week and has um, two VAs how do I become this person <laughs> <laughs> listen to the podcast I think uh, yeah listen to the podcast oh I will it's brilliant. You know I will. <laughs> But um, every Australian I speak to seems to work in the government. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty big, <laughs> pretty big over here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there's any connection to like neurodivergent people and wanting to give back to the to society and potentially serve the government. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Maybe not. <laughs> I but, don't know. Um, what I do know is that yeah, majority of us would like some change because well that's the other thing yeah (laughs) our environment change it from the inside exactly and that change is starting to happen very slowly and the environments that we're forced into on a regular basis are disabling to us it's not us who've got the disability so much and if you do identify as being disabled uh, as being autistic it's absolutely fine there's no right or wrong it's down to Mm. different preferences but I absolutely see it as the environment that is disabling. Lower the light. 100%. Yeah. Through communication, give yeah. people choice. Yeah. And let's get this, let's start yeah. understanding. I love that you said that because um, I was actually having a conversation with a diversity and inclusion HR um, professional this morning about this. And I was trying to explain to him that. Um, so in that organization, um, neurodiversity is lumped in with disability. And I personally identify as disabled proudly. Um, and I don't judge anyone who does or doesn't, but it's interesting being lumped in with disability because part of that makes sense. But then equally there, as you said, there are neurodivergent people who do not consider themselves disabled. And also, I guess the thing that worries me about that is that it can get lost amongst the huge variety of disability. And when people think of disability, they often think of physical disability and disabilities that are quite visual and obvious, Mm. um, unlike our more dynamic, invisible disabilities. Um, So I was trying to explain to him that, you know, you can have an autistic person who considers themselves disabled because maybe they don't have the privilege or access to being able to shape their environment to be more accessible and more neurodiversity affirming, neurodiversity accessible, whatever you want to call it. Um, And then you have people, and I know a few of them, who are autistic and don't consider themselves disabled because their entire lives are set up 
to support their neurotype. So they, you know, they're they're quite introverted. They work in like tech jobs with a lot of other neurodivergent people. Um, you know, they they grew up in a household that wasn't very judgmental of their differences. All these things that were some were luck, some were privilege. Um, but it means that they living they're living a life where maybe they've got they they can afford you know sensory aids and f- all of those sort of things. So, in terms of disability, I personally do think that autism and disability are connected right now because we live in a world that disables us. But I also think that, I mean, I hope that the future will be that the world is so evolved in terms of being inclusive and accessible to us that we we are less disabled because of that access. That's that's my end goal, and this is why I my second business that I do with my partner, um, my fellow autistic ADHD advocate Alana Reeves, um, which is called Moose and Freckles. <laughs> um, we go to workplaces and teach workplaces how to be more neuro accessible. And like at the moment, we're doing a big training course um, to a employee assistance provider um, and teaching all of their consultants who are social workers, counsellors and psychologists who support multiple businesses and employees who need to, you know, talk about any struggles they're going through. Um, They came to us and they were like, "We, we keep getting these autistic people and ADHD people who want help and we don't know how to help them. Um, can you do some training? And we were like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so it, it's the, I think it's starting to shift, but in terms of getting it to be widespread and all around, that's going to take some time, I think. But At least I we've hope. made a start. And I think that exactly. the, the neurodiversity movement itself, these things, they take time to grow and build momentum it's like the proverbial snowball isn't it and yeah down the hill so it needs exactly to build momentum which reminds me of a brilliant book that i once read which was called yeah. the compound effect and it's like oh the yes compounded yeah. effects and everybody kind of coming together in this as a collective in a positive way actually yeah. starting to make some change and we can start to see it and there are younger people and people who are newer on the path and the journey as well who are keeping that going as well and absolutely experiences and absolutely in life and where we are in the healing journey because I know some of your backstory which is just incredible and it's coming through the things that you've come through with a as a survivor as someone who has healed their trauma wounds, as someone who has gone through those experiences and has done the work that they've done to get themselves to the mental place that they are now, yeah, of course there's always going to be stuff to work on. That's how we continue to grow and learn, develop and evolve. But absolutely, it's also how you teach others who are newer on the, on the journey in whatever kind of subject that you want to teach them in. And it's, it, I know that you're doing amazing stuff, absolutely amazing stuff. Thank you, Nikki. Yeah. For those who don't know, I guess, um, Nikki and I were actually going to record a podcast episode late last year um, on suicide awareness and prevention, which is another um, sort of sub special interest passion of mine that I advocate in uh, mental health for autistic ADHDers. And 
Um, I, unfortunately, I got sick and we had to postpone. But um, last year, a lot of my time was spent in that space and and working specifically with um, eating disorders. So I started a not-for-profit last year called Eating, Dis- eating Disorders Neurodiversity Australia, or EDNA, as we call it. <laughs> and um, what prompted me to start that was I started publicly speaking about my own experience with an eating disorder as a neurodivergent person and was flooded, like flooded with emails and messages from autistic ADHDers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then on top of that, and this is something I like to talk about because uh, it's it's really what I think is the foundation of a lot of what I teach. But um, in Australia, we had the first ever national research and translation strategy on eating disorders come out in 2021 by the big eating disorder eating disorder research body. And in it, they had oh, I can't I can't remember it off the top of my head anymore. But it was been in the first 20 pages. There was a a page on um, populations that were you know disproportionately affected by eating disorders, and it talked about. Um, you know, gender and elite sports people and um, all of those sort of things and LGBTIQ+, which so important, but it didn't talk about us. And then you get to page 60 towards the end of the report and there's a one-liner on a mini paragraph called comorbidities saying that there is an emerging link with ASD, ADHD and eating disorders. And first of all, this is a not emerging. Like the, the research linking ADHD and autism and eating disorders has been since the early 80s. It is not emerging. So that's your first problem. Secondly, I'm not a comorbidity. I am an autistic person who has suffered from an eating disorder and I need treatment for my eating disorder, not for my autism. I need support and access for my autism and I need treatment for my eating disorder. So separating that out and moving autism into the identity bracket, into a, a culture that needs a different approach to to treatment and therapy because the current approaches are not accessible to us and they actually mean that many of us have very severe and prolonged eating disorders as well because we have some of the worst outcomes because Mm -hmm. we lack that support. So that was my big passion project last year Um, and Mm -hmm. I've just recently stepped down and it's in very good hands and guns blazing but in a few months uh, of that we, we just we smashed into the eating disorder market in Australia and Within a few months, I was invited to the National Australian New Zealand Eating Disorder Conference plenary session on autism and eating disorders to speak. And right now, um, where they're finalising the very first eating disorder national eating disorder strategy that we have made sure will prioritise neurodivergent people. Um, so that's really exciting. That <laughs> Sorry to go is. on my little bandwagon, but. No, that is really, really exciting. And I mean, even there is a very strong correlation and there's there's so many different factors, but just like off the top of my head, it's sometimes with like the internalized ableism that society just throws at us in general. Um yeah. we that can be one of the one things that can be controlled. Which yeah, is absolutely. Um, also yeah. our senses some I I can go for hours um not mm. not too much with food I'm better with food but with liquids I can go mm. all day not having a drink yeah and then my other half will come in and say 
I'll oh, drink and now knows I'll just bring you a drink because you probably haven't drunk anything because it doesn't register. Yeah. Sense of interest no. doesn't register. So Yeah, so exactly. And it could be interoception, which is not having the signals that you're thirsty, not ha- like recognising that. Or it could also be focus, that you're so immersed in your favourite subjects that you are oblivious to your outside world or internal needs. Um, there's like multiple factors that can influence it, but th- it, there's just a thousand reasons why it, it it's obvious mm-hmm. that autistic and ADHD folks would struggle with disordered eating and eating yeah. issues. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and it's a slippery slope it. from struggling to full-blown eating disorder, and that's where we, it gets sticky because when it becomes full-blown eating disorder, then you get put in the medical system, which is, as you know, <laughs> very pathologizing and very much um, based on evidence base that is skewed in the white cis male neurotypical um, way, which is just completely not what we need. Um, Yeah. So. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really important work and it needs to be done. Again, I did an episode on, on addictions and food was, a part of that as well because it, it does feed into that and it's absolutely to have these conversations around it so that that awareness is raised but it's mm. um I was having a conversation with someone the other day and uh they said you also need to know when to cut the baby tree <laughs> yes <laughs> so when these passion projects we don't want to just leave them and abandon them so we need to foster no. them and adopt them out and that's clearly yeah. what you've done with that so 100 percent. yeah uh, my my two main supports in that not-for-profit um who are now leading the show are phenomenal one is an experienced pediatric dietitian who's doing her phd on neurodiversity affirming care and the other one is doing a phd on um sensory processing in psychology and like they are just the mm. two perfect people for this job and they were with me step by step the whole way actually they to be honest they did most of the work I just did more of the hounding um you know people to listen and um you know having the meetings because I you know I like talking <laughs> but they're, they're the they're the expert they're the subject matter experts I was just the one who got people to care a little bit more <laughs> Anyway, it was a group effort, but they I know it's in good hands. And so that's sort of allowing me to shift my focus onto my all my other stuff that, you know, it's hard because you can't spread yourself too thin. No, you can't. No, you no. Can't. or burnout ensues. Yes. And I know that you've been there. We've all been there. And oh, it's, yeah. Many times. it's not easy to, to get out of that. And we don't want to go back into it. So it is a. That would be cycle. nice. But that's yeah. a cycle, and I think that it shows us what not to do, and then mm. it shows. Then it's up to us to change and make the changes. So working less hours, yeah. outsourcing things where possible, knowing where your boundaries are, oh, and boundaries <laughs> so important, but so difficult sometimes. To a lot of the time, I don't recognize any boundary until I've crossed it like and you know so I'll go too far I'll overbook myself or I'll do this and I'm like oh I need to set that boundary but it's always just like a, a reaction to learning that it was needed in the first place it's, I'm not very good at preemptively setting boundaries exactly and it's a learning curve and it's yeah 
sometimes it's people take the hard way to learn that, those lessons. But yes, the, the, the sooner you can put the boundaries in place, the easier yeah. everything else becomes. <laughs> yeah. And oh, that, yeah. that's hard in itself. It is hard in itself. Well yes, worth it, though. That's true. Well worth it. 100%. Yeah. 100%. But no, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Yeah, so you know, I always love chatting to you. Yeah, so what's next for you? What's apart from the book? Uh, what's happening for twenty twenty three? What's the big plan? Well, I mean, I guess this year, the I'm mostly just continuing what I was doing, which is part of it is helping professionals become more neuroaccessible, and part of it is supporting autistic people. My my six week course is about to start called Autistic Empowerment, and that is focused on everything from uh, advocacy to, you know, self-empowerment and understanding your own accessibility needs and then learning how to implement them and how to help others implement them as well, um, creating accessible environments, which is so exciting. Got quite a good group signed up already for that and lots more speaking events, which is always fun uh, and exciting. Hopefully my season two of my podcast comes out very soon. <laughs> I got to get get back on that editing bandwagon which which has been uh yeah uh oh and the other thing is i'm i'm slowly getting more into youtube which is interesting and i have avoided it for quite a while because i'm not i don't love being i don't love seeing myself on camera i think someone who has had an eating disorder and body image issues in the past and still to an extent i don't know that they'll ever be fully resolved but um I'm, but equally, I, I guess I, I, a little bit of what I do is um, fat advocacy as well. So, uh, I, you know, I'm very much a big fan of the fat liberation and fat acceptance movements. And so I guess a part of me is like, well, no, I need to show up for myself and also my community of I can be on camera too. And there's not like if you look at YouTube, it, it's very straight sized people. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of size diversity. Um mm. And so it kind of makes sense that I'm a bit avoidant, but at the same time, I guess that having that thought or feeling pushes me to want to break through. <laughs> like that will not control me. Well, there is a block reason for a reason. And if people yeah. are going to pick on something like size, gender, mm. race, sexuality, whatever it is, whatever their choice of poison is yeah. to pick upon then there's a block button and you yes. can't reason and logic but you can put information out there for the people that it benefits so 100 block move on and yes. i'm fully with all body shapes all body sizes <laughs> and you yes. can be all diverse overweight you can be fat you can be skinny you can yep. be fat and malnourished you can be skinny mm -hmm. and malnourished you can be fat and the yes. healthiest person, so and skinny and really unhealthy. I know, so shocking. Looks can be deceiving. So again, yeah. One yeah. of my favorite things yeah. to say is that one of the lowest forms of human intelligence is judgment and opinion. Everyone has them, mm. but it doesn't mean you need to share them. So true. Yes. Yeah, so I've got a busy, busy, busy year ahead, but very excited to have more collabs with my neurodivergent community and, yeah, just more change in the world. So Amazing, amazing. Yay, 2023. 
I look forward to seeing what what comes from Annie's direction and in, in your oh, corner. Likewise. Well. Likewise, Nikki. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> How can people contact you just as a last question yes. for you, Annie? Um, my handle on most socials is um, underscore Annie Crow, but I'm mostly on LinkedIn and um, sorry, my earphone just fell out. <laughs> um, I'm I'm mostly on LinkedIn and Instagram, um, but, yeah, otherwise email me, um, info at anniecrow.com.au, um, follow me on socials, and, yeah. I love hearing from my community. I get um, quite a few emails every day uh, from all around the world, people saying that they've, you know, they follow my work or they've seen me at some speech presentation and I just, it fills me up. It really does. It fills my cup to know that the work I do has such a huge impact on even a few lives. It's just, it's so, so rewarding. It is very. I love hearing from my neurokin. (laughs) It's a privileged place as well, I think. It's it's so privileged. It's so privileged. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you thank so you. much. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Thank you. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again.